Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. From KUNC and the NPR Network, this is In the NOCO, a daily slice of Northern Colorado news and happenings. It's Friday, February 23rd. I'm Erin O'Toole. One in 27 students in Poudre School District is experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity. That's a startling statistic that KUNC senior editor and reporter Lee Patterson recently stumbled on. Her reporting on youth mental health had suggested there was a problem, but this number told her the issue was more urgent than she'd thought. It is on the radar of all of the school districts that I interact with, and it's just a very difficult problem to solve because it involves so many overlapping social and systemic issues. Patterson directed the new KUNC series, Unseen But Everywhere, airing Mondays this month. It brings together the lived experiences of unhoused and housing insecure students. Today, the reporters who spent time with those students join me, Ray Solomon, Emma Vandenindy, and Lucas Brady-Woods. Ray, I'd like to start with you. Your story opens the series with an unhoused family in Fort Morgan. That's a town on the Eastern Plains. You describe their situation as living in a constant state of crisis. Tell us about that family. Yeah, eight years ago, they were doing great. They lived in a nice house on the front range, on a cul-de-sac. But then the mom, Mary Grace, got very sick. She was hospitalized and very weakened and ended up not being able to work anymore. They lost all their savings, they lost their housing, and they really haven't been able to get back on their feet since then. They lived in trailers and cars, Sometimes they've been able to stay with family. Uh, They told me about one night they ended up spending the night in a car wash. And eventually they made their way out to the Eastern Plains. Living on the street in the city was just too rough for them. They were trying to protect their kids. Their oldest son, Anthony, was only 10 years old. And here's a clip of him describing those experiences. We once ended up in a, uh, it was a little, it was a little like like a wooden shack. That's where we stayed for a while. And then we went back to hotels, and it was just hotels from there on. Wow. Ray, this family's problems are hardly unique. Why is housing insecurity and homelessness hitting kids and families so hard in these rural parts of Colorado? You know, Erin, the data is really sketchy, but the best information we have shows that youth homelessness is just as prevalent in rural areas as it is in urban areas. And if it seems like rural areas have more challenges, it's really because there are just fewer resources available, right? There are no shelters for kids experiencing homelessness on the Eastern Plains. And it can seem like less pressing of a problem because it's more hidden, right? Kids who are experiencing homelessness in rural areas, they do a lot of couch surfing. Their families are doubled up in small places. So the homelessness is less visible. The other issue I found is that communities really need resources to get more resources. So you need someone with the capacity to go after funding, go after grants, go after resources in order to get them to come to you. And there's just no one in rural towns that has the capacity to do that. But there is one bright spot. There's a rural collaborative that was able to go after some federal money, a little bit under $4 million for demonstration projects to address and prevent rural youth homelessness. 
But it's worth noting that $4 million has to be shared among rural communities in 45 counties across the state. Hmm. Well, Ray, your story really helps us to think about the different impacts that housing insecurity and homelessness have on students. And we get a closer look at what that means in the next story that you reported, Emma. Yeah, I spent some time with Colorado State University student Oscar Godinez Avila. His family grew up poor and they moved around a lot in Colorado as his dad was taking different jobs. And he ended up sleeping on his parents' living room floor because they could really only afford a one-bedroom apartment. And he slept there with his siblings. And he did really want to get an education, so he got a small scholarship and attended Colorado State University. But he couldn't afford the dorms. And that was kind of the start of his housing insecurity. So he slept on friends' couches. He was at a hotel at one point, and he was just moving around all over the place. And eventually he dropped out of school for a bit before coming back because he just felt so different from some of the other students that were at the university. Here's what he had to say. It felt like everybody here had money. Everybody here had a heritage and a legacy to build off of. And I was just left really confused. Well, Emma, we meet other students in your story who have struggled to keep housing as well. These personal stories are really important for us to consider because I think they illustrate a bigger problem than the data suggests. Could you talk about the holes in the data? Yeah. First off, there's just not many places tracking data on specifically 18 to 24-year-olds. The point in time count is another really great resource for tracking homelessness um, in many different states across the U.S., but it is just that, a point in time. It doesn't capture it over long periods of time. It also doesn't capture those that are choosing to live at a friend's house or living in their cars. It's truly looking at the people on the streets. And there's lots of Colorado surveys that really only focus on the Denver metro. So when it comes to northern Colorado, you're not seeing the same data for Weld and Larimer counties. You're seeing more data for Aurora and Lakewood and Littleton. There is one accurate survey. There's the Real College Survey, and it's a national survey that captures more than 200 colleges and universities, like what basic needs are not being met for university students or community college students. But many colleges don't participate because they just don't think it's a problem. And in terms of resources, lots of universities have some resources for kids that are struggling, you know, Practically any university you can go to has a food pantry. Some have emergency housing if you suddenly get evicted, but there's no stable long-term housing. No, when we talk about what resources are available to young people, um, it makes me think about your story, Lucas, because resources and the lack of them is at the heart of it, right? Now, you focused on the influx of migrants arriving in Colorado from the U.S.-Mexico border and what that means for young people trying to enter the school system and succeed. What are the biggest challenges they face, Lucas? I spent time with a family who recently arrived in Denver from Venezuela, family of four with two girls, age eight and ten. And this family has been able to secure an apartment, car, work, and, and school for their girls. And that is far from the norm as far as newcomers go. Um, overall, the biggest challenge for most folks is stability. And stability for new immigrant families means a few things need to happen at the same time, which often does not happen. Um, mainly those things are housing and jobs. Um, and families are generally prioritizing those over enrolling their kids in school. 
you know, for most going to school feels absolutely impossible without a stable income and a place to live. So a lot of these folks are not eligible for work. So that will have big impacts on their kids, right? Absolutely. In fact, Denver hosted some work clinics for newcomers last week and found that the vast majority of migrants are not even eligible for work permits. And that's because a lot of them didn't cross the border through official immigration channels. And that means they don't qualify for temporary protective status, which comes with work authorization. But without jobs, families can't afford rent and other daily necessities. And that means a lot of them don't have stable housing or housing at all, especially because Denver's resources are stretched so thin. The city recently reimposed limits on how long families can stay in shelters, and it's expected that thousands are going to have to leave them through the end of next month. Lucas Brady-Woods, Ray Solomon, Emma Vanda 90, thank you for your reporting on this, and thanks for coming on to talk about it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Erin. And you'll find our series, Unseen But Everywhere, at KUNC.org. That's it for us today here on In the NoCo. Robin Vincent is our executive producer. I'm your host, Darren O'Toole. Have a great weekend.